Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. We're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. But where do you start? Unless you're a medical bill expert, finding savings can seem impossible. Well, HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and flags errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit HealthLock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Thinking sideways. I don't understand. Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hi there. Welcome to another hard-hitting episode of Thinking Sideways. <laughs> the podcast that uh, takes no prisoners. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Joe, joined as always by my lovely co-hosts. Devin. And Steve. Yay, hey. I get to be the lovely one this time. You do? <laughs> Yay! <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> They're just being nice to me today. It's fine. Oh, nonsense. <laughs> You're quite attractive. Aww. Yeah, so uh, we're going like, uh, to solve another mystery today. So you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Well, let me start from the top. Uh, this is about a guy named Donald Crowhurst, a British guy. And I, I, before I go any further, I want to give a shout out to our listener, Karen, who suggested this. So thanks, Karen. Yeah, this one's been in the hopper for a while. Yeah, I, it's been in the hopper for a long time. Karen, who knows? She might not even be listening anymore. <laughs> oh, of course she's listening. Yeah, of course she is. Of course I know. she is. We've got her addicted. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about Donald Crowhurst. On October 31st, 1968, Mr. Crowhurst set sail from the town of Tynemouth, England, to sail his 40-foot single-masted trimaran, trimaran, the Tynemouth Electron, around the world as part of a contest. So let me give you back some, some background as to when this began. In the spring of 1968, the Sunday Times of London announced a challenge, which they called the Golden Globe Nonstop Round the World Yacht Race. They challenged volunteers to come forward and tackle this, because it was no, oh, not, not just nonstop, but 
by yourself, single-handed. Mm. Yeah, single-man race. Yeah. So uh, go figure, only nine people actually stepped forward to, to take part in this offer. Yeah, big shocker yeah, there. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, the first man to make it home would win the Golden Globe, whatever that is. I'm, I assume it's different from the Golden Globe Awards we have here. Yeah. <laughs> I hope yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely different. Yeah. And then uh, there was also a five-thousand-pound uh, prize, which five thousand pounds is about eighty thousand pounds today, which mm. is roughly about one hundred and sixty thousand today. Yeah, I suppose right, right around there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So five thousand dollar prize for the whoever had the fastest time. Okay. Around the world. So yeah, there are nine step forward, but five of the nine dropped out early. So I'm not going to bother telling you their names. But. Uh, Oh, and, and if you're wondering why the Sunday Times decided to do this, they uh, there was a guy, Francis Chichester, who had done this the year before under the sponsorship of another British paper. And it was a big a big sensation. Uh, it, it really bumped the paper's sales and mm-hmm, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And so they thought it, and a little a little um, a little bit of invitation would be good. So Chichester did it in he did it in a fairly decent amount of time. And he did, but he stopped on the way. Yeah, he had to stop to make repairs. Mm-hmm, exactly. Which is like when you think about it. Getting around the world nonstop without going on shore to get supplies or make hard. repairs. I mean, it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think what people need to, to keep in mind is that the route that these guys are taking is they're, they're sailing from England south, mm-hmm. then going around the, the Horn of Africa yeah, and Cape basically Horn. staying in, do they call it the, the Roaring Forties? Is that the, the latitude? where? That's, uh, yeah, that's roughly the Roaring Forties, but if you when you go around Cape Horn, mm-hmm. you, you you're, get in down, the, you're in the Furious Fifties. Yes, yeah. which are terrible seas. I, I, I've actually been to Tierra del Fuego, as you know, and I've experienced that wind, and that was in January, which is their summertime, and <laughs> it was incredibly ferocious, unbelievable. Yeah. So no wonder that, yeah. you know, as he's sailing through that area and then he, he rounded the tip of South Africa. I think that's where he stopped to make repairs. Is that correct, Joe? Do you uh, remember? I don't, yeah. I don't remember where he stopped. Yeah, but, or yeah. he might have stopped in Australia. I don't yeah. remember which, but he had and to stop because the I was seas thinking were New so Zealand terrible. Or something, but uh, this, this is a, the thing that really kind of mystifies me about this particular race is why they had them go the route that they did. Because the, the Roaring Forties and the Furious Fifties basically circumnavigate the South Pole. They go around there, and, they, and they, they go around it from west to east. And so, when you're in a sailboat, you want to, and, and you're in really gusty, strong winds like that, you want to be heading into the wind and not running off the wind, because if you're running off the wind and a sudden huge gust hits you and you've got a lot of cloth out, then it can rip your rip your mast off. Whereas if you're heading into the wind, then your boat just lays down. And it comes back up again. So, not so you're saying that they should have had them go the opposite way around. They should have had them go the opposite way mm-hmm. around. Or because, be like because, the but Panama the, Canal or Yeah, something. that's what I would do. I'd, something. I'd, I'd sneak through the Panama Canal. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know, these guys are... And, but, of course, you've got uh, two guys in this race who are doing trimorans. And a trimoran going into the wind around Cape Horn, for example, I don't know how well that, that would do. They probably would just flip right over. So. Well, and a trimoran is a three-hole boat, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to talk about the trimorans in a okay. second here. but uh, So, anyway, the, the Times, we're kind of going all over the place here. But the Times, essentially, that was their motivation for doing this, was publicity. And as I said, they got nine takers, uh, and five of them dropped out early. So the remaining four were a French sailor named Bernard Montessier, a a British former merchant seaman named Robin Knox Johnston, 
and a former naval officer named Nigel Tetley. I like that name. It's so British. Nigel Tetley. <laughs> really Very is. British. Yeah. And also the fourth guy, a guy named Donald Crowhurst, who was an amateur. I mean, he was a guy, he's a guy that's like sailed in the English Channel and stuff. He's not, he never actually made an ocean crossing or mm. sailboat. He's a weekend boater. Is yeah, he's yeah. He's referred to. Okay, yeah, okay. a competent enough sailor, but, you know, he was, he was, ta- he was taking on a big project here. Sure. Yeah. So a b- little bit about Donald Crowhurst. He was an entrepreneur and an amateur sailor, and he had started a small computer business, which was called Electron Utilization Limited. He, and he invented, he was an, an inventor and a tinkerer, and, and he invented this device called the Navigator which is a radio direction-finding device that uh, actually, I don't know if it was actually the Navigator or the Loran, but it eventually became widely used. And so it, it basically triangulated on radio signals from shore to tell you what your position oh, was. Oh, sure, like a re- replace a compass. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah sure. to, well, and, and we're talking, this is 1968, so GPS has not right. been oh, invented. Yeah, so yeah, right. we've yeah. got to have something. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So in those days, yeah, I mean, it's, a lot of people in those days were still using sextants, of course. But, mm-hmm. you know, he thought this would be a really cool, spiffy way to. And uh, as he was he was not really into navigation that much. So I think it, it appealed to him to have something that would be easier to use than the the old traditional sure sure you know mapping the, the stars mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah I mean so the, like sextants and charts and all that stuff so you know I, I think that's why he invented this thing um, but the problem was is he thought it was going to make him a lot of money but at, at so far he wasn't selling many of them at all and so when the the Golden Globe race was announced he was in pretty dire financial straits and I think that he thought the cash prize would keep him afloat. Until mm. he finally got his business off the ground, yeah. and so that was his uh, his big motivation. And maybe he liked attention too. Maybe he feel maybe he mm-hmm. felt like that'd be a way to call attention to his business. Sure, he would get all this notoriety, and he'd yeah. be going like, "Yeah, hey, you know, you know why? I, just by the way, I've got this device called the Navigator." Well, especially navigator. if like maybe he made use of it to like win this competition, right? If you say, "Oh, you know, I couldn't have done it as quickly if I hadn't been using this invention that I had," mm-hmm. you know, because I would have been so tied up trying to navigate by the stars, I and I wouldn't have done it nearly as fast. So, maybe, you know, that's also a, mm-hmm. a pretty I, good yeah, possibility. Yeah, I, I, I don't really have any information on that about whether he actually used his Navigator. Oh um, yeah, he didn't. I, yeah. I don't think he had to, had to actually use it. I think he could have just said when he won. <laughs> yeah, yeah you that's know. true. Yeah, and I used this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't remember ever seeing any, but it's really hard to say. But I don't remember seeing anything saying he was using it. But mm-hmm. he well, may very well have been. Hard to know what his plan was upon return. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, he unfortunately didn't have the kind of money that he needed to buy himself a big old boat to sure. fill the world in. So he persuaded a local millionaire named Stanley Best to sponsor his entry and buy him a boat. And they commissioned a, a boat yard to build, build this trimaran. And the millionaire, Best, bankrolled the trimaran, but he made Crowhurst sign an agreement which stated that if he backed out of the race or if he dropped out early, he'd have to buy the boat back. Okay. And he mortgaged... Uh, he, Crowhurst mortgaged his house and his business mm-hmm. against this boat. Everything he mm. owned. Everything basically. he had, basically, against this boat. And so, yeah, he was, he was committed. He was extremely committed. He also hired a publicist named Rodney Halworth, who was a former crime reporter for a couple of British newspapers. And uh, Halworth was uh, instrumental, actually, in kicking up. He, he did a really good job back at home at taking any, any dribbles of news that he got from Crowhurst. Uh, and and get disseminated to the media and, and whipping up a frenzy of, of excitement about this whole thing. Great, yeah. Yeah, race fever. But uh, the deadline was leaving. I, I didn't mention the deadline for leaving England, did I? No. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the deadline for leaving was Halloween. It was October 31st, 1968. Which was the last... I think that was because it was the last day they figured anybody could safely get around the horn around, because yeah, of around the, the Cape seas. of Good Horse. Around the Cape of Good Hope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So they figured that that was a safety measure. Then they would... Have, and also, you got to kind of have a cutoff. You can't have somebody like leaving a year later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah, that doesn't work. That doesn't really work right. Crowhurst uh, actually did not get his trimaran until pretty shortly before the race deadline, and he he, said he only had about four weeks to outfit the boat and, mm. and, and get all of his gear together and get ready for this voyage. So, needless to say, he was uh, kind of behind all the other ones who had already left long before, mm. and uh, so he wound up leaving on the the day of the deadline, October thirty first. And was it fastest in time or like? The first person back. First person back got the Golden Globe. Okay. And, and whoever, whoever of the of the four would get the five thousand pounds if that, that was fastest. The fastest. That was the fastest. So they counted like how many days it took them, not like who was back first. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So so Crowhurst, you know, if if say two or th- if, if all the guys up front ahead of him mm-hmm. beat him in, but he still came in after them, he could still have won that prize. Right, with less days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, let's go back to October 31st. That's the day he set out from Tynemouth, England. And now I'm going to depart again. I'm going to do a little travelogue stuff. Uh, Tynemouth is a quaint little seacoast town on the English Channel. I took a tour of it on Google Street View. Shocking. I know. (laughs) Yeah, I ran over several pedestrians and a dog. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I love about that. Uh, I think I sideswept at least 100 cars. Yeah, so sorry, Tynemouth. I, I apologize. But I do want to say if any of our listeners are from Tynemouth, you people really do have a picturesque little town. And wouldn't that be a great... I want to write to Google and say, I want something that when I run over somebody in Google Street, I get a yell or a scream. <laughs> I'm sure there's an app for it somewhere it's out there. has got to be something like that. Yeah. Okay, back to, back to our sea voyage. Enough of that. Uh, so Crowhurst estimated that the Tynemouth Electron could sail... 220 miles a day. Why did why did he name it the Tyne? I can't say Tyne the name. Yeah, Tynemouth was the name of the town. Yeah, and well, his company was what Electron, Electron Utilization. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've just been sitting here thinking about what a dumb name that is, <laughs> but I get it now. Okay. It totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So, but it turns out that his claim that it could do 220 mi- miles a day was pretty optimistic. And here's where I'm going to talk about trimarans a little bit. They yeah, are please, they are fast boats. They're three-hold boats. They're faster than monohold boats by a long ways because they have less wetted surface. But they uh, have a tendency to capsize when sailing close to the wind, unfortunately. And they also can't sail all that close to the wind, which really cuts down on your progress. There was a guy named, uh, a former Navy guy, I think, or maybe even current Navy guy named Peter Eden. So he sailed with Crowhurst from a town of Cows, to Tynemouth, from, where, from which he departed. And uh, he reported that the Tynemouth Electron was very fast, but it could get no closer to the wind than 60 degrees. So that means when you're lucky enough to have a tailwind, you can make good time. But if you're sailing into the wind, you're going to be tacking so hard and so far out of your course that you're going to make very, very slow progress. I feel like I'm just sitting here smiling and nodding because none of this makes any sense to me. Here's, here's, here's what it means is... Tacking out of the wind means you're kind of doing a zigzag. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Joe, but you, mm-hmm. you, you're, you've got a direction, so you're going to go forward. 
you kind of hang a bit of a 90 degree and then you come back in at a 45. Sure, tacking makes correct? sense to me. It's okay. The rest yeah. of this is just, you know, it's all sailors. I'm sorry, let me, I, I apologize. You know, I, I'm, I'm so used to this <laughs> stuff. But yeah, so tacking, for those of you who don't, are not aware of what that is, is uh, a sailboat cannot obviously not sail directly into the wind. Into the oncoming wind. Into the oncoming wind. Yeah, it has. So, so we have to do what's called tacking. Depending on your boat, your boat's design and everything, and the kind of sails that you have, you can get pretty close to the wind. And close to the wind means if the wind is at zero degrees and, say, you can get as close as, say, 30 degrees, then that means you're at 30 degrees one side or the other. Your that, sail is that way? Sail, yeah, that Got means it. Your, your, okay. boat is, your boat is in that, oh. in that direction. So, okay. And what you do is... And the way and, and the way that sailboats work is when you're running off the wind, you're getting pushed sure. by the wind. Sure. When you're running into the wind, then your sail is sort of, you know, how it floofs out. It's kind of curved, mm-hmm. and, and you stretch it out real good and everything. Yeah. And then that oncoming wind is going right across that sail. And the, it, and the Bernoulli effect, you know what that is? Yep. That, okay, the Bernoulli effect creates a low-pressure mm-hmm. Thing a low pressure zone is created on the outside of the sail, mm-hmm. and the sail is pulled forward. So when it, when, it's, when you're sailing into the wind in a sailboat, you're not being pushed; you're being pulled by the wind. I feel like we pressure. just did a tiny little episode of how how stuff works. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that's uh, sorry for sorry for the boring Thank dissertation you. on that, but that's what tacking is. It's uh, very helpful, actually. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, and yeah. so and so, what you do is you go you go a little you go a ways in one direction, and then the helmsman yells out "Ready about," and all the hands like they loosen up the jib and. And then you, you swing the tiller over to the side, and, and you and you go across your, your line of direction, the, the, the line of direction so of the wind. you're literally zigzagging back. Yeah, I think many of us just need to, like, yeah. fall into the calm, deep voice of Joe and just, yeah. like, yeah. Just, just kind of jump on board and say, all right, he knows what he's talking about, and all it doesn't really right. matter does. that much. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess it doesn't really matter. But, but <laughs> just, just to say that if you can't get any closer than 60 degrees to the wind, then you're going to have some pretty slow going when yeah. you've got upcoming wind. Okay. Uh, so this guy, Peter Eden, uh, said that Crowhurst had a tendency to fall overboard when they were <laughs> in the town of Cows. Apparently he fell overboard several times. Yeah, <laughs> three times. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and uh, when they were getting aboard the boat to go to Tynemouth, he fell aboard. As they were, <laughs> they were boarding the boat, <laughs> he fell overboard. Uh, but otherwise, Eden said that Crowhurst was a pretty good sailor. He, he did say that he was a bit sloppy about navigation, but uh, he was definitely he was af- actually a pretty good sailor. But Crowhurst, we should note, as we've noted already, didn't have any open ocean sailing experience. Mm. And yeah. it's totally different, right? Pretty much. I, I think that you, when you're at sea, a lot more stuff can happen, mm-hmm. you know? Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah you, don't get, you don't get crazy big waves and stuff like that when and you're storms. in the channel. Yeah, when you're, when you're in the channel or sailing close to, close to shore and a storm shows up, you know, you just go home real fast. You yeah. Know? You, yeah, you can't do that when you're out in the open ocean. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he left, and he was sending back occasional radio messages. But according to his, his logs were read later on, and after a few weeks of sea, he'd averaged no more than 130 miles a day, and he had barely passed the coast of Cor- Portugal. So that not far at all, really. You think at two weeks, and he's only made it to Portugal. And at this point, and he's all, he's also radioing back some some somewhat dishonest accounts of his speeds. He's actually exaggerating his position and, and the speeds that he's attaining a, a bit. Back on the boat, according to his logs, it, it, it's apparent that he was starting to realize that he was way out of his depth. Mm. And he actually wrote in his log that he, uh, he estimated his odds of surviving 
the round the world trip at 50 50 mm. so that's not good odd. i feel no. like that may even be optimistic though like from everything that we know about him like uh-huh. if he has a tendency to fall overboard I know. <laughs> I and know. like uh, yeah. you're alone in the middle of the ocean uh-huh. I... well and, you, and think about this too he's if he's off the coast of portugal that's in a fairly temperate zone. The weather's mm-hmm. not too harsh. And he's, yeah. he's got to be thinking, so if he's already having second thoughts, he's, he's thinking, oh, my God, the weather when I'm passing the capes is going to be brutal. Yeah. And my odds of survival are pretty slim. Mm-hmm. E- so, yeah, because running those capes is tough. And also another reason for his um, low spirits is that the boat had sprung a leak. <laughs> so that's A brand new gonna... boat. Yeah, I know. Well, that was the problem. The boat had never been tested. It was a new design. Oh. And did, I, I'm sure Joe did. And I don't know. Did you see the, the pictures of his boat? No. It's actually really cool looking because it's super flat on the top. It's just got this itty bitty window that's, yeah, I, it looks like it sticks up maybe a foot off of the, uh, the top of the boat. Mm-hmm. Very streamlined, very cool looking boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was a new design. They'd never tested it. And, you know, the only way he could get water out because he was sprung a leak is that mm. the thing didn't have pumps. Oh, yeah, of course. So he had to use yeah. a bucket. Uh-huh. He had okay. to go open it up and bucket the water out and uh-huh. then seal it back up. That's got to be yeah, it's gotta be hard on morale. <sighs> well, and think about it again. It's just like you said. He's in good seas when mm-hmm. he's doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you're in bad seas running the Cape, are you going to have time to, to go out and, and, and go down and... and you got to be able to leave the till and go down and do some bailing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he's got he's got to have that on his mind. Well, and did you? I don't know if either of you came across the reason that he chose the design. That what, he the trimaran. He, yeah, why he chose a t- trimaran? Because as you said, they were they were they're they, faster. Well, they're faster, but they also will tip in a situation like the scene oh, yeah, you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, he thought he had a workaround for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So his workaround was. And he was an inventor kind of guy, so his idea was to have a, a big, a big bladder that could fill with air at the top of the mast. Because when those things go over, of course, they're going to completely capsize. The idea was that this bladder, when um, I think he had like leveling mechanism, like detectors, maybe mercury switches on the, on the deck, something like something that, like yeah. that. And the idea was that when it started to go over, that thing would activate and boosh, it would fill it with air or CO2 or something and inflate that thing and stop the boat from capsizing. Mm. And then he had he had come up with an idea to put some pipes and tanks in the outer uh, in the outer holes. And that way he could pump water into whatever hole is sticking up highest. And, oh, and, and then, level it out. Yeah, and, put, put, mm-hmm. and make it heavier and then just count on wave action. Like an oncoming wave would, once he's got, once he's got enough weight mm-hmm. in, that, in that upper hole, an oncoming wave would raise the top of the mast high enough to cause the whole boat to just raise out of the water and tip back down. Problem is, of course, again, he didn't have the boat long enough. Mm-hmm. He and, never, as far as I know, he never got those things in. No, no, he didn't. So, and, and by the way, when he gave himself the the fifty fifty odds, the fifty fifty odds were if he got his safety gear all installed. Mm. Just, yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he had a big dilemma here because he he realized that he needed to drop out of the race or die. But if he dropped out of the race, he'd lose everything he owned. Mm. That's tough. Yeah, very tough choice. So apparently he hatched a plan. He would just noodle around in the South Atlantic for a while 
occasionally radioing false positions, mm. telling say, "Hey, I'm in the Indian Ocean," you know, "Hey, I'm in the Pacific," <laughs> things mm. like that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and keep some, and, and also keep false logs, mm. and then um, just hang out there and monitor everybody else's positions on the radio. Mm. So when everybody else had, had had said that they were in the the Atlantic and headed home and were safely well ahead of him, and, mm -hmm. he, and he knew he would come in last, that he would he would radio back to England and. He would come in last, and he'd have a good adventure story to tell. And but since he came in last and didn't qualify for the prize, we figured they wouldn't scrutinize his logbooks too closely. That seems fair, I think. Yeah, because and if he had one, they would have scrutinized his logbooks. Well, yeah. and faking logs, because I mean, you've got to put a lot of stuff in the log. That to me would just be so much work. Yeah. yeah. Of course, luckily for him, he had a lot of time on his hands. True. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> he was just sailing calm seas and kind of temperate areas, you know, just mm -hmm. chilling out. Yeah. What else do you do? Yeah. On December 10th, about six weeks, after about six weeks at sea, he radioed this press agent. Remember him, Rodney Hallworth? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, saying he just sailed in one day, a record 243 miles. Wow. Hallworth uh, used that and other other things to keep up the buzz at home. He was doing his job, mm. uh, and obviously he never sailed that thing 240. I mean, actually, it's, it's maybe conceivable if he had a good day and he had a tailwind, and he didn't have any water in the holes. Yeah, yeah, he spent all this, all the day bailing and everything. Yeah. Maybe maybe he did. I don't know, but I, I'm pretty sure he didn't. Around Christmas time, Crowhurst uh, radioed in saying that he was somewhere off Cape Town, but at this point he was actually sailing past Brazil. Um, he was weeks behind everybody else, and then not too long after that, uh, he he uh, started claiming that he had a faulty generator in his radio broadcast, and then he just shut down transmissions entirely. Mm. Um, he went ashore at one point in South America for repairs, which broke the race rules, of course. Yeah. You can't go ashore. But at this point, you know, he didn't really care anymore. He just made sure to keep a low profile so nobody identified him. Bernard Moissier uh, dropped out of the race after rounding Cape Horn. He was he was actually in the lead, but he just sort of like, you know, just said, ah, hell with this. I think I'm just going to sail on and go to Tahiti. So that's what he did. Yeah, he eventually did. I think he was yeah. at sea for th three or four hundred days by himself before he finally la made landfall. I know. I mean, seriously. I mean, if, if, you, if you decided to you round the Cape, and you decide, well, I don't really feel like doing this anymore. Why don't you cruise over to Ushuaia and put it put in for a while and get some, get a few beers and have some human company? Yeah. See, I yeah. thought I thought he, uh, I thought Bernard he dropped out of the race after he was back in the Atlantic. Yeah, and it's right after he ran at Cape Horn. So Cape Horn is the tip of South America. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting him. I'm getting yeah, him mixed yeah. up. Good, that, good hope what's... is Africa. Cape oh, Horn is that's, South, okay. South America. That's where I'm because yeah, yeah. I always think of the Horn of Africa. So that's that's mm -hmm. where I'm screwing this up. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the Horn of Africa is is in the Indian Sea. It's like the Gulf of Aden and all that stuff. That's mm. the Horn of Africa. So, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to be uh, sorry to be lecturing you here. No, 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 no. I yeah, I yeah. I know them both, but I'm I'm intermixing them. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, I know. All this geography. <laughs> I know. Stupid globe. <laughs> yeah, stupid geography. So back to so after Moatissey dropped out of the race, that left three sailors: Robin Knox Johnston, Nigel Tetley, and Donald Crowhurst. Uh, Robin Knox Johnston arrived home first. He got home um, April twenty second, nineteen sixty nine, and he won the Golden Globe. Mm. Yeah, Crowhurst was out of contact, but everybody was interpolating his progress based on his past reported positions and the, the speeds that they could estimate based on those the, mm -hmm. the distances between those points. 
And so it looked, based on that interpretation, like Crowhurst might actually beat Nigel Tetley for the best time. And so there was a lot of excitement back home. So on April 10th, 1969, Crowhurst finally broke his radio silence. And he said he was headed back up the Atlantic, having cleared Cape Horn. And, of course, Hallworth sent out a press release. The press went nuts uh, because it looked like Crowhurst was a plucky amateur who was in serious contention for the 5,000-pound prize. Lots of excitement all the way around. Uh, but, but, of course, Crowhurst was relying on Tetley because he knew that Tetley was, had a two-week lead on him. Mm. So he was, he was very depending on not winning. Well, I think he should have waited a little longer before he broke his radio silence because Tetley, of course, was aware that Crowhurst was, was back in the race and was in the Atlantic hot on his heels as far as he knew. Of course, of course, Crowhurst really wasn't speeding that fast. He didn't wasn't all that motivated to get home fast. No, he but, was yeah. dawdling, I believe uh, would be the yeah. phrase to use there. Yeah, but Tatley believed that Crowhurst was hot at his heels, and so he put on as much sail as he could. Uh, Tatley, by the way, was also in another 40-foot trimaran. Okay. So he put on lots of sail, and he uh, found himself in a storm in the mid-Atlantic. He didn't shorten his sails nearly as much as he should have. And shorten your sails means you take in sail, you have less sail because you don't want to be demasted in a storm, right? Mm. It's another sailing term. But so because of that, his trimaran was damaged in the storm and it started taking on, on water off the Azores and the boat sank. He took to his life raft and he was rescued by rescue type people. And, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> those people. Yeah, air sea rescue, I assume people in uh, helicopters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so he was pulled out of the water May 30th, 1969. And of course, he still, Crowhurst still had a functioning radio. So when he heard the news that Tetley had sunk, well, that was really bad news for him, needless to say. Uh, his log, his log entries about this point show that he was in a deteriorating mental state for the past, the last several weeks of his log entries. And he wrote poems, random thoughts, philosophical ramblings. Uh, he put in fake and real log entries. And then in the final page of the log, which was entered on July 1, 1969, he wrote, and I quote, It is finished. It is the mercy. That was all caps. I will resign the game. So oh, uh, that was his last entry. So wait, okay, I I'm confused. Uh, yeah. Robin Knox Johnston arrived. Yeah. On April twenty second. Yeah. So why why was Crowhurst gonna win? Didn't Robin Knox Johnston already win? Remember, no, he won the Golden Globe. He was getting there first and getting there fastest. Knox Johnston got, got there first, first, but. He did. He Crowhurst oh. potentially could get there in a shorter amount of time. I based see. On it was left. two separate. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Got exactly. it. Okay, yeah. okay. Max, I get it. Yeah, Max, I've been laboring under false assumptions. Yeah, yeah. Max Johnson <laughs> was in a monohull boat, which tends to be slower than a trimaran mm, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I'm, I'm sure he had a good pokey time. On July 10th, 1969, the Royal Mail vessel Picardy, crossing the mid-Atlantic towards the Caribbean, spotted the Tynemouth Electron drifting with only a single sail up. Uh, they boarded it, found the boat was cluttered and dirty with dirty dishes, filthy bedding, and no crew, nobody to be seen. So the captain of the Picardy hauled the trimaran on board his ship and they sailed on and started to read the uh, three logbooks that they found on there. Mm. An air search was begun for Crowhurst. 
And, uh, of course, the, the news of his disappearance spread worldwide and made him very famous. Of course, he was already kind of famous because a lot of people were following this. Sure, sure. And, of course, lots of people reported citing him at all kinds of places around the world, including mm -hmm. the U.K. and Cape Verde and everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And the British media for a time even staked out the family home, thinking he might, uh, he might show up there or something. Mm -hmm. And two days later, the captain of the Picardy was mostly through the logbooks. Uh, there were also other papers found on board the boat which showed the actual navigation course that he'd been following and not the fake logbooks. And so the captain reported what he found and, uh, and also mentioned the suicidal sounding last entry, which leads you to think a certain thing, you know, believe it or not. And the air-sea rescue was called off. And the mystery of the ghost ship Tynemouth Electron lives on to this day. No one knows what happened to the crew of the Tynemouth. The thing that really, I had a really hard time getting a hold of with this story and it's wrapping your head around well no it's just it, <laughs> what's not so apparent when you just read it mm -hmm. is the amount of time that it takes place over mm -hmm. uh i watched don't move fast no and i i watched there's a great documentary on this called deep water and i watched it it's really interesting and it really goes through a lot of it but it really gave me the sense of how much time this whole thing took and how much time crowhurst spent by himself oh, at yeah. sea on that boat i mean when his boat was found it was 240 some days yeah, out at sea days, yeah. by himself mm -hmm. that's a huge amount of time no and he I, went yeah. on land once yeah, he, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, he, was, he wasn't supposed to. Alec. Yeah, speaking but speaking of spending a huge amount of time at sea, there there's actually a book about a guy who took over three years to sail around the world. Oh, yeah. And the book that I was going to recommend to you is called "Sailing Alone Around the World" by Joshua Slocum. Joshua Slocum is actually a quasi-famous guy. He was a New England sea captain, and he set out in April 1895 on his boat, the Spray, which was a 37-foot wooden sloop. And he sailed in a little more than three years and about 46,000 miles all around the world. Was he by himself? Yeah, he was by himself. Wow. wow. He was by himself. Now, he didn't, he didn't do it nonstop. Uh, yeah. He no, didn't like, do it nonstop. Yeah, but... Over three years, I would hope uh, he yeah. took yeah. away hopefully, somewhere. Hopefully, put a sh got him, gave himself a little shore leave from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> but, so. Yeah, yeah. This, but even that, I mean... Uh, it's quite the adventure. I bet. But, uh, yeah, and all of this. I'm sure the accounts of his shore leave were probably really cool, too. Yeah, I'm sure he was really ready to cut loose and kick up his heels <laughs> many, many months at sea. Go check it out now. Oh, well, don't yeah. check it out now. Wait till we end the show, then check it out. Yeah, we still have <laughs> a lot of show. Just write it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we still have a lot of show ahead of us because we got to talk about theories. Yay. What happened to Donald Crowhurst and how did the time with Electron become a ghost ship or a ghost boat? Mm. Yeah. Or a ghost mm. trimer in? Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. yeah. So, uh, theories in no particular order. Um, theory one is pirates. Sure. Yeah. You guys have any thoughts on that? Mm. I didn't find a whole lot of record of pirates. I did look for this. I actually thought about it. Mm. I didn't see a whole lot of records of pirates operating in that part of the sea in the late 60s. I, I couldn't find a whole lot of accountings of that. It mm. also just seems like super counterintuitive. Like the, It's not like there was a lot of stuff missing from the boat. Well, actually, It's not they... like the boat was missing. It's just it was just this one broke dude well typically uh, t you know pirates like in the in the caribbean for example pirates down in that area tend to um 
you know, and it could be a similar bunch of pirates. They tend to kill the owner and, and throw his body overboard and take the boat mm-hmm. itself. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, 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 that's that. my, my They would have taken the boat. Issue yeah. here. Uh, so do you want to put the pirate theory to rest? I, I kind of think so, yeah. Okay, well, that was short-lived. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next theory, and this this has some plausibility, that next theory is that he fell overboard. Yeah. Which is entirely possible. Yeah, apparently yeah. he had a propensity to fall overboard. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. He, he had to constantly do... I actually, I really, unfortunately, kind of lean towards this one heavily because of all the repairs that he was constantly doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I we didn't. I know we didn't talk about it initially, but uh, who was the guy that went on the, the, vo- the early voyage uh, with him? Peter Eden. Yeah. When Eden was with him, one of the issues that they were having is the screws in the, that were holding the rudder to the boat mm-hmm. continually were vibrating loose and what? falling out. I don't even understand how that happens, though. Like Brand new what? design. Haven't figured it out. They're not locked in. They're screws! And he... the, the uh, What was the guy's name again? Eden. Eden. I'll remember it now. He, he uh, recommended welding He it. recommended welding him. He's like, this is great, but if you want to take this voyage, you need to weld those down, which and never happened. Yeah. Ugh. And so. in his logs, he... even some super glue would have been helpful. <laughs> Something, but in his logs, he talked about you know lost the fourth screw today, Uh-oh. and yeah. so I, I just I can just imagine him constantly being out there mm-hmm. when you're on your own and you're a little loopy from just being on your own. Nothing else, just I've been in the sun for two hundred days mm-hmm. by myself, and you're just kind of spaced out, and you go to grab something as it's falling away, and then. Gone. Yeah, yeah, and no way to get back in the boat. And the boat just keeps going. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't uh, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Intelligent sailors, I think, tie themselves to the boat, right? Usually, yeah, usually people have lifelines that they attach yeah. to the boat. But, uh, and, but, you know, even then, I mean, if you go overboard, it's, it can be pretty tough to get back into the boat. Sure. I mean, it's entirely possible. But I, I don't think he was wearing a lifeline if he did fall overboard because like it yeah. would have it would have been there. I mean, yeah. his body still probably still would have been there. Yeah. Well, and and he did um, a lot of the guys that were on this in this race, Montessay and he both were given tape recorders and video recorders to just log what they were doing. Mm. And Montese has, and and Crowhurst have a bunch of footage of themselves just tooling around on the boat, doing their everyday thing. They're in shorts. They've got no shirt on. They're in the sun. And I never saw a lifeline tied to mm. anybody. Yeah. I would imagine that would be more cumbersome on a daily basis because you're walking back and forth and it's snagging and you go one way and then the other and it's just looped around. I can see that being a giant pain, which would explain why you wouldn't wear it all the time. Yeah. I could see that too. Heavy seas would be the only time I think you would do it. Yeah, probably. Or if you had a high propensity for falling overboard. (laughs) I'm just saying, if you've fallen overboard on like a small voyage five or six times, maybe like use your brain a little bit. Connect yourself to that thing that is the only thing that's keeping you alive. But people get lazy when they get comfortable and used to something. They do. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. So anyway, well, let's we'll give that some points. That's a strong possibility for that theory course the next theory and this is the most prevalent theory out there is suicide yeah and uh, certainly that's supported by the last logbook entry mm-hmm. although you could interpret that plausibly he says uh he said i will resign the game you could interpret that as him just saying i'm going to drop out of the race or he's going to admit to everything or possibly he knows that clean. he's going to get 
busted. Yeah, it could be that. Mm. Or it could be by resigning the game, he means he's going to off himself. That's hard to say. I mean, yeah, it's all, it's especially hard to say since, like, I haven't read any of his other log stuff, like, what the kind of tone of it, you know? You can mm. kind of get a sense of stuff like that sometimes. But yeah. But here's why, here's why I, I don't really believe the suicide thing entirely. I mean, it's still possible, but if it were me and I was going to commit suicide, and, of course, he probably wasn't entirely in his right mind. Right. But he left a lot of evidence behind um, that that he basically lied the whole time mm. and you know of course, of course you want to think about what your reputation is going to be beyond the grave you want to think about that and uh, if it had been me i would have checked the logs and all the other documentation overboard so there'd be there would have been no evidence mm. i swear i saw somewhere that in and this is in line with the suicide theory is that somebody had said that he had taken one of the log books with him mm-hmm. overboard Mm-hmm. Which I could never really substantiate, and also question: How do you know exactly? I've heard that too. That they thought he took a log, but how do you know that? Exactly? I, I mean, we're, 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 did the spine of the log book say log book one, two, four, and so you yeah. know number yeah. three is missing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. You know. yeah, or I, dates I know. in the logs, maybe if yeah, you've just a got big a big gap. chunk. A gap but there. then you still don't know because I mean, it's also just possible that he just didn't keep logs for a gap of time it's also possible that at some point he accidentally dropped it overboard (laughs) (laughs) he had it on him when he fell over he got back in the boat and it didn't Mm -hmm. go yeah Yeah. but as far as suicide goes on the other hand he did have a pretty strong motivation because not only was he going to be financially ruined he was going to be humiliated and exposed as a liar and and also he was probably feeling a little bit guilty about nigel tetley because Nigel Tetley arguably wouldn't have sit, wouldn't have, have sunk mm. if not for him. Yeah. So maybe he was feeling a little a little remorseful about that, and so maybe all those things combined to drive him to suicide. Yeah. He well, and I know he had a lot of hesitation. I mean, if it wasn't for the contract that he had to sign. From what I've seen, I get the feeling that he would have never set sail Mm -hmm. because I think it was the 30th of October, the day before he left, he went to his financier and uh, his publicist and said, this boat's not ready. I, this boat's not ready. I can't take this boat out. And they both looked at him and said, what do you mean? You have to go. You, you have to go. It's too late to, mm-hmm. s- to back out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a rock and a hard place. He was in a tough spot. It's a terrible spot. Well, yeah. he did put himself there. I mean. Well, yeah, he did. But I still feel bad for the guy. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, anyway. it's, I mean, it's it's heart wrenching because, of course, he it had is. he was married had and a he couple had of kids. four kids, three or four children. Well, and didn't I think I read somewhere that um, the guy who ended up with the money who ended up with the money Tetley won the prize. Tetley ended up with the money. No, not Tetley. Knox Johnson. Oh, Knox Johnson. That's that's right. He's the only one that made it back. Yeah, he's the only one. And didn't he give most of it to the children of? Yeah, he did. Yeah, which is awfully nice of him. Yeah, and and even after it came out that you know he was kind of a liar and all that stuff well the, you, the money was never i mean you gotta feel just, bad for the family yeah, you, you know do. because they've lost they they've know. lost their husband and father and on top of that he's getting a lot of really bad publicity yeah, yeah. yeah. well and i imagine i mean it's just like anybody who becomes a public figure like that you're you know that 
there's two frames of mind. Either I know I'm going to make a bunch of money from this in other avenues, mm-hmm. so I'm going to give this away knowing that I'm not going to be hurting in the long run because I'll make money on other ventures. Or there's, as you guys said, the magnanimous perspective of, yeah, my my winning doesn't matter because of this other tragedy that happened. I mean, yeah. I, it's hard to say yeah. what motivated I, I mean, I'm glad he did it because it was nice a great thing to do. do. Oh, it was, yeah. And I, I had no idea. He might have been independently wealthy anyway. So, who knows? Well, okay, do you guys have any more thoughts on the suicide theory? No. 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 Okay, last theory. Uh, this theory is that there is a seagoing chupacabra. That's, <laughs> yeah. The seagoing, this seagoing, seagoing chupacabra is called the Kraken. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard of that the, one. Yeah, so there is, uh, there's a school of thinking that perhaps the Kraken got him. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Just reached up, plucked him off the boat, and took mm, him away. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, why not? Actually, probably what it did is it, it grabbed the boat and it's in its, in its hairy paw. Turned it upside down and shook him out of the boat into its mouth, uh. and then and then gently set the boat back down. And, and he was the only that thing w- that fell out. And, well, that would explain why the one logbook was gone too, because it mm. fell out too. Yeah, but none of the dishes or anything. No, that's true. Mm. Good point. Yeah. They weren't broken. And uh, yeah, good point. Mm. Okay, so much for that theory. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I I I I always like to bring things out of left field. Here's the one theory that I've never come across that I wonder about. His boat was found in the Atlantic, mm-hmm. and it was, what, 100 miles from the Azores? Is that correct? Something like that. Yeah, it was about 100 miles. When uh, when that ship found it on the 10th, Yeah, it was about 100 miles away from the Azores, which is just a string of islands that are kind of, I don't even know how far they, they're five, 800 miles off the coast of Spain, but it's still a relatively temperate area. Oh, yeah. And he he's already broken the rules once and gone ashore. So I could conceivably see him writing this post, uh, this log entry saying the game is up, mm-hmm. going to an island and just pushing the boat off. and Because le- the boat was found with a sail up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I could see where he just said, I'm going to just start a new life. I'm just yeah. going to start a new life. I'm just going to walk away. Yeah. I'm sorry for my wife and family, but the hell with this. I'm out. I just can't take this anymore. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because those islands are so small and they're small communities that th- this this might just be completely wrong. But I just wonder about that because he wasn't that far off. And he, in his course... When he found out about Tetley, he hung a right-hand turn and started heading in that direction rather than continuing north to uh-huh. England. So, yeah, I mean, the Azores is a possibility. But, you know, I mean, I just don't know. The, the, the only problem that I have with that theory is that um, he could start over with nothing in the Azores, or he could go home and start off with nothing again and have be with his family. And so, but if he if he went home, he would be returning in disgrace. He yeah. would lose everything he had. And if he chose to disappear and not return home, his family would likely have some kind of. But you know, he probably had life insurance or something like that. Something you know, yeah. it's not. It's it it protected his family financially a little bit, mm, but, gave them a little more something. Yeah. And it protected him because you can take on a new name Mm -hmm. and nobody knows what a a dipstick 
you were and what a foolish mistake you made. You can well, just no, actually, hide from that. Actually, everybody, everybody knows that because they've read the logbooks that you foolishly but left he, in the but, sailboat. But no, everybody that he meets from then on forward, he's not going to operate under this stigma of, oh, you don't do business with Crowhurst. He's a liar. Uh-huh. He he tries to pull the wool over your eyes. He can just be, you know, some random dude who shows up on the island and hires on with a ship and just goes about his business and just he's free of it. He it washes his hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I, the the only problem I have with that theory is I, I still think he would have sanitized the boat. He would have taken the incriminating stuff. Should have. Yeah. Definitely. I think that he should have. He should have. Should have. I, I, I would is think the that he would have. Way to say that mm-hmm. because you know he, if he set the set the boat off, he would want people to think that he just was washed overboard or fell overboard. Mm. Yeah. And so. Or, yeah. That's yeah. fair. I think that's so, a fair point. Yeah. But but sanitizing the boat, I don't know that that wouldn't look more suspicious. Yeah, it would look kind of funny, too. You know, if he had done the laundry and washed all the dishes and all of that, would that have stood out to us in history as stranger than the well, cabin was a wreck? No, no, no. I don't, I don't mean... I meant sanitize as in remove incriminating materials. Yeah. Like the logbooks and charts and stuff like that. Yeah. That's uh, you know gotcha. stuff that stuff that you know that showed the entire world that he had been lying this entire time. But would it have looked? But that's the thing. Again, the, it's, it would have looked bad they, too. They if know all that how stuff many logbooks he left with. Well, why? I mean, I guess the thing you do in that situation is you just throw almost everything that was on the ship overboard and make it look like you got hit by a huge wave. It washed, you know, washed everything out. Washed yeah. everything out. You, it's reasonable that there was, you know, not a whole lot that survived or whatever, and mm-hmm. just go about your merry way. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, you know, there's, there's plausible excuses for that. You know, like, well, you know, I, I took on a bunch of water with a sneaker wave, you know, filled half filled the cabin, and mm-hmm. I had, had everything out on deck drying out, you know, mm-hmm. and then another sneaker wave came along and washed it all overboard. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's not there to explain all this. Or you, you know, dunk them in the water and let, lay them out to dry, and they're so, you know, crinkled and the ink is all runny and everything that nobody can decipher what you were writing, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's yeah. ways to do it. There's yeah. ways to cover your tracks. Uh, yeah, no, so. and I, that's that's the hardest part with this is we all. It's so easy for us to armchair quarterback that, and come up with better ways to do it. But sure, it, sure. again, two hundred and some odd days on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And granted, yeah. you've got a lot of time to think through this, but um, I think you have a lot of time to think through this and then think through it again and again and again, and just drive yourself batty. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Sounds like that's what happened to him. Yeah, it's sad. I feel I feel bad for the guy. Well, okay, so much for that theory. So maybe, maybe, who knows? Um, yeah, it's and, tough to say. Any other theory? Any other theories? Mm-mm. No, that was the only other thing I had was the Azores. Yeah, there's not too many theories on this one. But uh, I did want to say one last thing. When that, what's really sad is that he had a way out. I mean, he didn't have to kill himself if if he need. I'm, I'm kind of torn between being falling overboard and killing himself. Yeah. I was going to say, you, it, that, that, that makes me think you lean towards the suicide theory. If, well, if he committed, if he committed suicide, then it didn't, he didn't have to do it. He could have, he could have actually, there was a way that he could get back to England, fool everybody and not be disgraced, which is all he had to do was scuttle his boat. Yeah, mm. that's oh. all he had to do. Oh, that's, that's true. I didn't even yeah. think about that. Yeah, that's I mean, so true. Everybody else was, was doing it. Why didn't he? I know. I mean, uh, um, it's all the cool kids are doing it. He doesn't get the money, but yeah, I mean, he, he his only problem was he didn't have a radio transmitter that had conked out. I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but his radio he 
he seized radio transmissions, but it turns out when they found the boat, the, the transmitter wasn't working. So at some huh. point, this was after after he, he sent a couple of transmissions saying he was headed back up the Atlantic, mm-hmm. but apparently it stopped working. It actually so, did stop working. Yeah, so he couldn't get a distress call out. Mm. But that's easily solved because you know, he was all he needed to do was head towards, say, you know, the coast of North Africa or mm-hmm. maybe Portugal or Spain, somewhere, get close get to within maybe just barely sight of land, mm-hmm. stuff a bunch of provisions, make sure the wind and the current are moving in your direction, and then mm-hmm. open all the seacocks and watch that thing go down. Mm-hmm. And he did have a lifeboat on board. And he had a lifeboat the inflatable. on board. Yep. And so the thing is, is he could have done that. Of course, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the mayhem of the boat sinking, you know, it's like I didn't all have time to grab get, the log yeah. books, you know. And mm-hmm. So he just barely escapes with his life. And... Nobody ever, these people might be a little suspicious, but nobody will ever be the wiser. And he doesn't, he's not disgraced. He doesn't lose his house and his business. Mm-hmm. That's all he had to do. Gosh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. <laughs> I so, feel foolish because I, yeah. I went off the, the deep end with the Azores, but that's a much simpler answer. Yeah. That would have been, um, yeah, that would have been the way to do it. And and frankly, but, you know, and this is another reason to lean towards, um, towards being, falling overboard or being washed overboard is that... Uh, I'm kind of surprised if he chose to kill himself that he didn't scuttle the boat because, you know, same, same thing. He winds up in the drinks in the drink and drowns mm. and, but he leaves all the damning evidence behind. But if he'd sunk the boat and drowned himself, then everybody would just assume that he'd been lost at sea mm-hmm. and he would be kind of a national hero instead of a national, instead of being disgraced as he was. Mm. That's very true. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of seems like he was just washed overboard well, or fell. Well, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say because, I mean, it didn't occur to you guys to scuttle the boat. Maybe it didn't occur to him either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It yeah. occurs to Joe because he scuttles boats all, all the, the time. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, you got to just, you know, pour gasoline all over everything. And <laughs> no. Just, yeah. no. Uh, did I say that? Shh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, too bad. Um, I hope this has, like, confused all of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so write us your thoughts and tell me, now that you've, you've thought this all carefully through with us, what do you guys think? And if you want to write us an email, of course you do. Contact us at thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Find us, like us, leave us comments. We have a group also besides a page. You can find us on iTunes and download all of our podcasts from there. And if you do download our stuff, please stop and Leave a rating and uh, leave, a, leave a comment or two if you wish to also. That would be great. Find us on Stitcher. And hopefully Stitcher isn't truncating our episodes still like they were. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I but think that's I, fixed. Is it fixed? I hope so, yeah. But find us on Stitcher and stream us directly. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. And uh, follow us on Twitter, and we we tweet all kinds of amazing stuff. That's or, not true. Well, <laughs> he's lying to you. Yeah, actually, actually, we don't. <laughs> we do put we do regularly put cool stuff on our Facebook page, but yeah, we're not doing a lot of tweeting. Just yeah, and last, a little and last, interacting. Yeah, and last of all, if you're boycotting iTunes and Stitcher, and I know a lot of you are, then you can also find our episodes on our website, which is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. And, uh, of course, you will find links to all the research that we did, or at least some of the research. Sometimes we like to keep some of it covert. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you'll find some links to some of these stories out there. So, uh, okay. Well, anyway, that's it for this week. I hope you folks enjoyed listening. So, for Thinking Sideways Podcast, <laughs> ta-ta. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>